If you have a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we are in a series in Ephesians, and we're in the Advent series of, uh, Advent season, I should say, uh, of the church calendar, which is the, the four Sundays leading up to, to Christmas, and it's a, an awesome time to just remember and reflect on not only the coming of Jesus into the world, but Advent's really about expectation, because it's it's focusing in on Jesus has already come, he's already did what he said he was going to do, he died on the cross, he rose again from the dead, but he said he's going to come back, and he's going to restore and renew all things, and so Advent becomes unique in this day and age, 2018, because we're longing for the day when there will be no more sin and no more death and no more pain and no more cancer and no more uh, jobs on Monday and uh, the work will be different. Uh, no more crazy bosses or crazy pastors or, well, well hopefully I'll be in heaven, but you know what I mean. Um, and, and, and just where, where things are functioning as they they should. And, uh, and so I don't know where you walk in this morning. I, I don't know um, what you're, you're struggling with or, you know, maybe just overwhelmed with busyness or children or work or money or depression or whatever, but I just want to uh, just say this morning that, that this Emmanuel is with us and, and he's good uh, and he, he doesn't uh, abandon us. And, and so uh, I, I've just been praying for that this, this season because I know holidays can be kind of weird, they can be great joy, but they also can be bring up all kinds of pain and, and struggle. And so, uh, so with that, um, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and we're going to look at uh, the last part of Ephesians 5. We've been walking through this series, and as you uh, see the little graphic up there, a new life and society is is what happens when the, the gospel of Jesus Christ comes and, and, and transforms the people. When, when God redeems the people for himself as he makes us new people, gives us a new life, and also this Simultaneously, because of that new life and because we've been changed, is that, that we begin to live as new people in society, um, in all different uh, areas of life. And so as we kind of move through Ephesians, we've mentioned this a couple times, is that like the first three chapters of Ephesians is about the content of the gospel. It's, it's about what God has done for us in Christ and how he's redeemed us, how he's forgiven us, how he's given us new life, that we were spiritual orphans. And I love the Christmas program last night. We used to be spiritual orphans, but now we're, we're, we're in God's family. And, and he brings us into the family of God. And then he brings people from all walks of life, Jew and Gentile, and puts them together as, as one body. Um, and then when we get to chapters 4, 5, and 6, it's kind of the application of this content of the gospel. How do we live in light of these things? How do we live a life, as Ephesians 4, 1 will say, live a life worthy of Jesus in light of all that he's done for us? And so we've looked at different things, that this idea of unity. We've looked at the, the motivations that, 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 that drive us to live a life worthy of that. And then this morning, we're going to begin a, a few weeks in what do new relationships look like in light of the gospel? new relationships. And so we're going to look at this morning at marriage. And, and then next week we're going to look at, um, you know, parenting. And then we're going to look at, you know, the, the work relationship um, and, and, and those things. And so what does relationship look like in light of the gospel, in light of Christ? And, and this is why this is really important, because I think a lot of Christians, including myself, is that we forget that our discipleship mainly happens in the context of relationships. Mainly. Primarily. Um, you know, we, we think of why I get up and I read my Bible and I pray, and that's great. But to go and do those things that your Bible is telling you to do in light of relationships is really difficult. <laughs> like, everybody's mature and spiritual, you know, with the Bible open by themselves in their bedroom, right? But it's when you have to go live those things out with your coworkers and with your spouse and with your kids, right? And that's kind of where the rubber meets the rub. But that's also where God is. That's where God is working in and through us and showing us the ways in which maybe we're not living these things. And so, so the Apostle Paul in Ephesians has a lot to say about these relationships and how the gospel even transforms how we even look at these relationships in light of him and how to live these things out. And so this morning we're going to look at Ephesians 5, 22. Go by, open it up. And we're going to read and look at marriage relationship uh, in particular. And I'd also like to say, as we, before we read this, is uh, if you're not married in this, this room, just don't check out. Um, because I think this is the vision for, uh, I, I imagine most of you, if you're not married in this room, there's probably a desire to be married, unless God has made it very clear that you should be married, and maybe there's called to be single, and that could be true. Uh, but for a lot of us, you know, that's not the case, that you want to be married, you want to find a, a spouse. And this is the beautiful vision of what marriage can be and what God would want it to be. So don't, don't check out. 
pray and ask God to provide a spouse or someone that would, would live out these visions uh, for you and your, your future marriage. And so I'll, I'll, I'll hit that again in a little bit. So let's read this. 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blameless, and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He loves his he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you, each one of you, love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord, we, we come to you before your word, and we ask <clears throat> that you would speak to us. Um, we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would illuminate our hearts and minds to hear and receive what you have for us. So help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, what, what we're looking at this week and the next few weeks is the, the, the gospel content flowing into the everyday relationships of life, in particular, marriage. So what, what does it look like for to have a, a kind of gospel-driven, gospel-centered, gospel-saturated, gospel-transformed uh, uh, marriage? Well, what does that look like? How does Paul understand that? How do we understand that, that biblically? And so, so where I want to begin uh, this morning is I didn't read verse 21. That was from, from last week. But it kind of serves as the impetus of where we need to start when we think about a healthy, godly Christian uh, marriage. And so first, I want to start with the foundation for a Christian marriage. In other words, where does it start? Now, notice we'll be in verse 21, because this is kind of a bridge verse that kind of flows into all of the conversation about different relationships. And it simply says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so when Paul's talking about submission to one another, he's talking about the marriage context, but he's also going to talk about it in light of uh, parenting and in light of the, the work relationship, uh, etc. And so, so when we look at what it looks like to have a godly marriage or what it looks like to, to live in relationship with other people, it always begins with submission to these relational authorities that God has placed uh, in our lives. So whether that's husband and wife, whether that's parent and, and children, uh, whether that's in the workplace or whether that's out in the world and there's particular, you know, uh, authorities that God has, has placed in us or placed in us for our good. It says there's a, a mutual submission for, as Paul, as Paul says here, out of reverence for Christ. So actually, as we submit ourselves to these relational authorities, it's a way in which we honor and we worship and we say yes and amen to Jesus. Thank you for these authorities you put in my life because I know they're for my good and for my joy. And I know already some of you are checking out, like, yeah, have you been married? Have you, you know, have you seen my boss? Like, he's a dictator, right? I mean, so, so we'll get into that in just a moment to say that, yes, of course, there's always activation of these responsibilities, and they're used in abusive and controlling uh, ways. But these relationships that God has given us are an opportunity for us to make much of Christ, to live a life worthy of him, and as we, we saw in Ephesians uh, chapter 4. And, and so, so we notice this in, in verse 22, just to give some, some context, all these relationships about submission and about you know um, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is, you know, notice in 22, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, all right? So, so the submission is not just a blind submission, it's as to the Lord, in the context of God's commands, his ways, his character. Notice with me in verse, um, we keep going in verse, uh, where are we at here? 24. Uh, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. So he even does a universal thing. He says the whole church, every man, woman, child who is a believer in Christ, who trusts in Christ, we are submitting ourselves to Christ. That's our first calling as God's people. That's where it begins. That's where marriage begins. It doesn't begin with wives submitting to your husband. It begins with submission to Christ. Husband and wife. Even in the, the parenting context, verse 6. Children, obey your parents, what? In the Lord, for this is right. It begins with a submission to Christ. In the Lord. So, so it's consistent with God's way. We're not saying blind submission to people that are asking us to sin. 
or, or to harm us or abuse us, right? But that, that's where we go, nope, not going to do that, right? So, so it's not a, hey, do what I say, it doesn't matter what I say. It's like, no, if it's, in, if it's consistent with God's commands, God's ways, God's will, of course, I, I gladly submit to that. So, so we're not asking anyone to sin, <clears throat> but here's the problem with authority, and, and here's the problem with this idea of submitting to one another, because we, we, we hate it. Any amens to that? Right? If, if you're breathing, you have a pulse. We don't just go, yes, all the authorities in my life, I gladly submit to them joyfully. My manager on Monday loves submitting to that guy. Just brings out joy in my soul. Right? No, it's, it's, it's in all of us, this authority, this rebellion. But where, where does that come from? Well, it comes all the way back at the beginning of time when we send to the garden, just like Adam and Eve. Right? Or when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. We have a hard time with God's authority. I mean, the whole, the whole conversation in, in the garden is about authority. Are you going to trust God's authority? Let him lead you, let him guide you, let him be your God? Or are you going to listen to the serpent as they, they did? So in, in Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 2, we read, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So God just had just one command. He only had one <laughs> They had perfect harmony, perfect relation with God, just enjoying his creation, enjoying this, this husband and wife, enjoying each other, enjoying the animals, enjoying this perfect world, this, this euphoria in the garden. God, one command, all I ask, just one, just one thing. I mean, not ten things. Didn't get to ten commandments yet. Just one. Just, just don't eat from this one tree. The, 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 the tree of just don't. Just that one thing. And, and what, what happens? I mean, isn't that us, right? <laughs> We're just like children. Just one, not ten things, just one, right? When you have children, just tell them to do one thing, right? You can't do that one thing. You got really quiet in here. <laughs> but God said, you should not eat of the tree. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's a conversation about authority. Who, who's going to have a because you're going to be like God and you're going to be beyond me. Don't listen. He doesn't know what's best for you. Right? And that's what, what sin is. It's, it's the belief that God doesn't have the best intentions for my life. But there's another way. I can be my own person. I can live how I want to live. But, but as you get to know God and his character and you realize that his love and mercy and kindness, I talk about this all the time, is that God's commandments are designed for your joy. Right? Nobody is breaking all of God's commandments to just go to the best decisions of my life. You know, shooting heroin in my eyeballs, getting hammered every weekend, just best thing, just sleeping around, going crazy, right? Just being selfish and full of myself and just living for myself. Best thing. I mean, I, there's just so much joy in my life and so much love. I'm just, I'm just so excited. But no one says that. The next morning is the worst decision of my life. <laughs> Why did I do that? Right? And so these commands are not because God is against our joy. He's the cosmic joy killer. It's so that he wants to enhance our joy. That as we walk in his ways and follow his commands, that, that we can live a life worthy of him and enjoy the joy that he's designed the universe to work. So, so this idea that, that you know, submission and submitting wives, you know, submitting to husbands and, and children obeying their parents and, 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 and the, the work relationships is difficult because we don't like authority. And it starts, stems from we don't want God's authority in our lives. And then it flows down to all of our relationships. We don't want anyone telling us what to do on any level, for any reason, right? Now, what's also, I think, important when we understand the marriage relationship in particular is if you keep reading in Genesis chapter 3, you jump down to 16, we understand why this is difficult with husbands and wives. Verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. The amen to that woman, I know if you just have babies. Not a pleasant experience from what I've heard. That's the result of the fall. So thank you, Adam and Eve. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. And then here it is, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Interesting. This is post-fall, this is post-sin. What, what, what that's actually saying is, 
there was a time before sin that this relationship between husband and wife was perfect in every way. And there was no need for the husband to rule over his wife. But now, this relationship has been fractured. And so, instead of having this perfect relationship where we're perfectly submitted to God, enjoying God, enjoying the relationships that he's given us, now we have this conflict because we get two sinners in a room and it goes badly often. So instead of lovingly, gently uh, uh, dying to self, caring for that, that woman, they lord over them, they harm them, they hurt them, they control them. And so you can say that about every authority, right? Instead of, instead of serving people, we, we, we lord over them, we control them, we manipulate them, we hurt them, we harm them. Why? Because of sin. That's not the way it was supposed to be. But in the context of Ephesians, is what we've talked about the last few weeks, is that God has given us new clothes to wear. And he's made us a new creation by his spirit. We've been born again by God. So now, we can't do this perfectly. And because it's in the Bible, and we should listen to what it has to say to us is that there is a possibility to make very small progress in this life to actually live a renewed relationship in the husband and wife relationship in a marriage context where the wife is submitting to the husband and the husband is loving the wife and laying his life down for her by the power of the Holy Spirit because he has been closed now. And he's a new, new man now and she's a new woman now by the Spirit of God. So when we talk about the foundation of a Christian marriage, it first begins with a submission to one another out of an honoring, a respect, a worship of Jesus Christ. That's where it begins. And that's for man and husband. Or man and husband? <laughs> husband and wife. That we are both simultaneously submitting our lives to Christ to say, I welcome this relationship. I welcome this way in which you designed it, Lord, not as a begrudging thing, but because I know you're good and I know you're wise and you're smart than me and you know how things work, that, that in a perfect world, this is how this relationship should work, that it would be a, a woman joyfully submitting to their husband and a man lovingly, sacrificially caring for that wife as Christ loved the church. That's how it would go. It would look beautiful. And give us a little picture of what God does for us, as we'll see in just a moment. So, so, so that's where it, it begins. But it's important for us, I, I think, to know the context of that. To know that we all struggle with this authority, right? I don't care who you are. So, so for the man, the struggle is, I, I, I need to control my wife and tell her, hey, submit to me, woman. Right? That's not the way we do this. But the woman is all having a hard time doing this, right? Because of authority. We don't like authority. We don't like anyone. We don't like God's authority. We don't like human authority. We don't like any kind of thing that's going to say, no, freedom is king. So let's make sure we have that on the table. This is difficult. That's part of the fall. So marriage is difficult, right? I, I love doing counseling with, especially premarital counseling with couples. And that's just like from the, from the men. I'm just like, hey guys, you know what you're getting into? It's not a romantic comedy. Let me tell you this. It's a battle. Battle of wills. Right? Let's just lay on it, right? It's Genesis 3. It is. Let's not make it all, you know, just romantic comedy and then everyone always wins in the end, everyone's always happy. It's like, well, then you haven't been married very long. <laughs> Two sinners in a room, it's just going to go bad often. But there's hope, and that's what Ephesians is laying out for us. So, so let's look at the, the two roles of a Christian wife and a Christian husband. And Paul lays out pretty, pretty clear here. Um, so, so 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body as himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so in other words, what, what, what Scripture is teaching is that wives are to submit themselves to the authority of their husbands. Now remember, keep that word there, as to the Lord. So this is where a lot of people already check out, even women in this room that maybe even are married or maybe know Ephesians 5, or maybe not a bad marriage or you know, you know, whatever it is, is this idea of submission is just like this seems patriarchal, it seems arcane, it seems, you know, I've seen this go poorly. But remember, keep that word there, as to the Lord. If your husband's not living in accord with the commands of God and the scripture and the character of God, we're not saying blindly submit to your husband. But it's saying, as Lord, as he submits himself reverently to Christ, 
we gladly submit ourselves to our husbands. If he's sinning against you or asking you to sin, we're saying, no, that's not to the Lord. Because our ultimate allegiance is not to our husband, it's to Christ. That's for the husband, too. And so let's ask the question, then, why does a wife submit to their husband? Like, why is that necessary? Well, what's implied in our text, as Paul is, is pretty profound here, is that he's looking at, at two reasons why women are called to submit to their husbands. And one is the creation order, and the second is redemption. So what is implied here is, wives submit to your own husbands, ask the Lord, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, as himself, its savior. And so woven into that little verse, we're going to look at one other verse that I think makes it a little more clear that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, is the head of the wife, or, or the submit yourself that he is the head, it's just simply the authority over the wife. The head is the top of the body, and it's, it's this idea, this metaphor of a head, of authority in the scripture. But he goes back to creation order. Now, we get that a little more clearly in 1 Corinthians 11. So Paul's not just pulling, you know, hey, why just submit to your husband? That's what you need to do. Get over it. Right? He doesn't do that. He said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, notice what he says here. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. So Christ has the authority for believers. That's what a head is, his authority. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Notice what Paul says here. <laughs> so there's this authority, this head over every Christian is Christ. He's the authority in our lives. There's also this authority that's over wives, it's their husband. But notice what he, he adds here in, at the end of verse 3. is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So that even in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, there's also a head, the Father is over the Son, and they mutually submit themselves to each other. You see what Paul's doing there? But, but think about that. What, is the, what does it look like, Father, Son, and Spirit? Is this just this, this harsh, like, you know, God the Father saying to the Son, just like, be quiet, Son. Get down there and save everybody. Right? Is that the relationship you see there? No, you see Jesus, this, this willing, suffering servant, <clears throat> who says, I love the Father that much that he would, he would send me, that even though I would be a, a sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world and God's people, I'm willingly going to go. Why? So that the love that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have shared from all of eternity, that the people of God can know what that love is, John 17. A willingness, as Joe said just a few minutes ago. A I know my father has the best for me. That he loves me, that he has best intentions for me. So when we even look at this relationship between a husband and a wife, it's the same even built into the, to the Godhead himself. The son willingly submitting to the father. The spirit willingly submitting to the son. Right? It's a beautiful submission, isn't it? And when it's functioning perfectly, obviously they're God, we're not. But you see that the, the creation order, as you now we'll keep reading, this is where we get a little more clear about the creation order. Go to verse 8. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. And so we know in, in cre the creation account that, that there was the man God made first, took the rib out of the man, put it, uh, uh, breathed, uh, put in the woman, breathed life into her, breathed life into him, etc. So out of the man came this woman, his creation order. Man first, woman second. The woman was dependent on the man for life. Verse 9, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, women, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. Now, so important. Though man was created before woman, woman, creation order, one than the other, man is still dependent on woman. Why? So we just have babies. We have no life without women. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying despite there's a there's a there's a certain order in which we are to submit ourselves, that the man is to be the head of the, the household and the wife is to submit to them, we're still fully dependent on women, aren't we? To have babies. <laughs> right? Without them, no one's here. Right? 
That's very important. So he's, he's like lessening and saying, hey, but I want you to know we all need each other. This is not a, 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 a cutting off of men over here, women over here. No, they are fully interdependent of one another. Before God, they have full equality before God in honor and respect. We're not saying, we're not degrading women on any level because God's asking us to, asking them to submit to their husbands. That's not what he's talking about here at all. But to say in the creation where men were created in a particular way, women were created in a particular way to complement one another. So many will, will, will argue, you know, this was just cultural, this is, you know, the Bible is just archaic, it's a form of chauvinism. But I don't think it's chauvinism, I think it's creationism. Mm -hmm. Amen. Because what Paul does goes all the way back to creation and says, this is how the universe was designed to work and function. It's not, it's not culturally contextual in the sense of, yeah, for certain people at certain times that worked, but that doesn't work anymore. It still works because it's rooted in creation itself. That God has made male and female in his image, Genesis 1.27, to complement one another. And to live in this harmonious relationship as wives joyfully submit to their husbands and men, uh, joyfully love their, their wives as Christ has, has loved the church. And I think what happens is if we blur these lines, we don't celebrate the imageness, if you will, of the ways in which God has made us, male and female. That's very distinctive. We're not the same people. And we don't have the same physiology. We don't have the same emotional capacity, right? You don't need to be a sociologist to understand this. Just have children. Yeah. I would see it in my daughter and my sons. Very different people. Watch kid, watch little boys and little girls play. You don't tell me they're the same people. <laughs> same physiology, same wiring. Of course, girls can be you know, more tomboyish or, or, or like to be more aggressive. Of course, that's fine. That's, that has nothing to say. But the, the reality is you get two men and a woman and go, they're exactly the same. Emotionally, physiology, we're all equal. It doesn't really matter. No. That's why men want to lead and men want to dominate. Not always in good ways, by the way. We'll get into that. But it's the way in which they're wired. Men, women don't, like my wife doesn't want to be the CEO of Google. She just has no desires to do that. Could she do it? Sure. But, but there's just a, there's a wire, there's an emotional capacity, right? My, my wife's going to leave with emotions, and I'm emotionally dead. <laughs> right? What's a question a woman asks another woman when they, they meet up together? It's like, how are you doing? Right? That's a very emotional question. How's your heart? Men are like, what do you do for a living? <laughs> right? What did you accomplish this week? Right? I mean, it's, it's very different, right? We just see that on a, on a very normal level, but we were designed to complement each other and have different roles in the home, and that's the beauty in which God has made us. We don't want to minimize that and diminish that and say, well, it's all just the same thing. And so the, the biblical vision, I think, for when we think of, of, of wives submitting to husbands and, and husbands loving their, their wives in marriage, is we need to hold this tension of the equality of the sexes, but also the complementary nature of you hear what I said? I'll say it again. So we need to hold attention to the equality of the sexes, that we are, men and women are fully uh, uh, loved and, and, and have total respect and total honor before God. Yes and amen. amen. But men and women, male and female, are very different. And they're meant to complement each other. And we need to celebrate that too, the ways in which God has, has designed us. There was a, a, a book a lot, a lot, a lot of years ago and it was a, actually a, a book on sociology, so it wasn't, and it was a, it was a Christian guy, but he's writing from a sociological uh, perspective, and it's called the Inevitability, it's a, a patriarchy. And, uh, and he, was, he was saying, kind of getting some hints about, you know, well, you know, all these patriarchal societies where, where women were abused and, and not treated right, and yes, of course, we can look at church history, we can look at history in general, of course, women have not been treated fairly many times over, even in modern culture, right? But, but the argument was not meant to be a, a moral uh, argument. It was meant to be a sociological one to say that there really hasn't been a culture that has been led by predominantly by women. He said, well, why is that? It's like because women don't matter and they don't have a voice, maybe. Or it's the fact that they are just wired very differently than men. Like there's this whole you know, movement about, you know, I'm going to get in trouble. I mean, there's the Me Too movement. There's all these feminist movements. And, you know, Google's trying to get more women to be more coders and CEOs and all these kinds of things. Nothing wrong with those things. But there's a reason why there aren't that many women doing these things, because they don't want to. Do they? Is that, 
is that the default mode of, of women to, to, to be, you know, I need to be the CEO of Yahoo or Google or, or whatever? They surely can, and they can be gifted to do that, of course. But, but if you look at different vocations and you look at different professions, you'll see women tend to be driven towards some of the more of the helps or more of the compassionate kind of uh, jobs, right? Nurses, teachers, social workers, where men tend not to be that. Why? It's because of the way we're wired. It's not because women aren't gifted or valued. They can't do those things. Of course they can. It's men are wired to, to lead, and, and you know, I, I hate using the word dominate, but that's, again, this is what this book is, is saying. And that's why we see history go the way it is. It's not because God hates women. There's a complementary nature to men and women that we still need to hold in tension. Now, obviously, this gets out of hand, right? Because of sin. That the men don't lead, they dominate, they abuse, they hurt, they harm, of course. And so women have a hard time, yes, I have a hard time submitting to my husband because he's, he's abusive or he's, he hurts me or he's, he yells at me or he tries to control me or manipulate me, of course. So, so I'm not naive to any of those things. That's what Genesis 3 is about. It's a difficult relationship. But what I think it gets really beautiful is that when we talked about the creation arm, but, but if you go back to Ephesians 5, notice how Paul talks about to, to, to women submitting them, Christ, um, in verse 23, is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, when we keep that intention, and we keep that in intention, and we understand a, a vision of what that looks like for wives submitting to their husband is to realize that Christ is our savior. And Christ comes and he willingly loves and lays himself down for the benefit of others. That, 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 that Christ, he rules us and he rules the church not with a heavy fist, but with love and grace and tenderness and mercy. And, and understanding that, that, that in redemption, that Jesus is, and we saw in Ephesians chapter 4, that he's the head of the church, that, that he cares for us, he nurtures us, he helps us, helps to become healthy. And so Christ's care is not one of control, it's not one of rule, but it's one of responsibility. That the head is, is the one who's redeeming us, not lording over us. So when a husband, and we're going to jump into the husband right now, is loving and serving his wife, laying his life down as Christ has, left, has laid his life down for the church, the wife will gladly submit to that kind of leadership. Right? Like our Savior. He doesn't lord over what he cares and he nurtures and it's for the benefit of that other person. So that, that's what we're talking about here. It's not a blind, just submit, woman. Like, like, man, if you have to say that to your wife, you're not doing it right. If you have to pull the submit card, you're not leading her well. That, that it should be a, a joyful reception of, yes, I, I, I gladly follow you because you lead me like Christ leads me with care and love and grace and mercy. Okay, husbands. Give a lamp up here. So, so husbands. Now, I, I find this I, humorous, and again, I don't have any like books that have, have said this is true. I'm just this is off the top of my head. Um, but I find it very interesting that there's like uh, th three verses for the wives, but then there's like a million for the men. I think it's because we're a little slow. Like we need a little more teaching here, right? I don't think it's because men are more important. It's just like, hey. Uh, Man, you really stink at this. So let, let me give you a lot of reasons why, you know, here's how you're going to do this, right? I was just joking about that this week. I was like, I don't this, but I think it might be true on some level. So if wives are called to submit, what are men called to? They're called to love. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any, any such thing, that she might be holy and without blameless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So, so there's a, a, a lot here. So there's a there's a, a joyful submission for the care which she's receiving from her husband and 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 be out of reverence to Christ. So God has placed these authorities in our lives, not because he wants to destroy our lives, but he wants to make them better and thrive and, and, and be full of joy and and, and 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 life. But now husbands, you're called to love. Just like Christ loved his church. How did he love his church? He laid it down 
his own life for our salvation, sacrificially. That's not just a I love you and a I tell you, but it's a I'm going to show you by how I live and care and nurture and cherish you. And, and, and Paul, I think, which is really important when we look at this text, I, I, I've read this, you know, <coughs> uh, marriage ceremonies with this text a million times, but one thing that really struck out me this week as I was kind of going over this again was notice the words he piles on in 26, the, the verbs that he has here. That he, that he loved the church, that he gave himself up for her, that he sanctified her, that he cleansed her, that he, that he washed her. I think that's a, a beautiful picture of what men are called to in their marriage relationship. That he's, he's giving of himself. He's, he's laying his life down. He's, he, he's, he's loving her the same way that Christ has loved us and died for us. But he's, he's sanctifying her. He's cleansing her. He's washing her. In other words, and again, that's not literally. But I think it's a trajectory of how do I help my wife become all that God has designed her to be? How do I help her grow up in Christ and make her more like, like, like Christ? How do I help her thrive in all the gifts and talents and abilities that she's, she's been given? How do I bring those out of her? Because that's the same kind of care that Christ gives us in the church. He wants us to be healthy and whole and, and mature, right? So how do I do that as a husband? How do I commit myself to her body, mind, spirit, and soul to bring those things out of her? It's not easy to do it, man. But we probably fail on our best days. I don't know. But it reminds me again of what my leadership looks like in my home. It's like Christ. The one who doesn't always, he's not thinking about himself all the time. He's not always thinking about his wants and desires, the one who willingly gave his life for the church. The, the one who's saying, how, how can I help her become all that God has designed her and created her to be? How can I support her? How can I provide for her? How can I nourish her? And that's right in verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. It's, a, it's an affection, it's a nourishment, it's, a, it's, a, it's everything that they are. How do I help that become more in her life? And I think there's a little clue here by the golden goal. Did you catch it in verse uh, 28? In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Remember, you know, the golden rule, you know, Love your neighbor as, as yourself. That's always weird, isn't it? Like, what, what does that mean? That's self-care? What are we talking about here? Well, well, think about the intensity in which you love yourself. <laughs> right? I mean, that you, you clothe yourself, you feed yourself, right? You may do exercise, right? Try to get some, you know, some broccoli in there once in a while. Take some multivitamins, whatever you're doing, right? You love you some self. Like we all do, right? We, we care for ourselves. So, so to love our neighbor is to say, I want to take the same intensity in which I love myself, and now I'm going to love my wife with that same kind of intensity. That I'm going to care about her needs, her physical needs, her, her soul, just as much as I care about my own physical needs and my own soul, right? That's what loving your neighbor is all about. That I would not be so, so inward focused that I'm only thinking about me, myself, and I, the Holy Trinity, but I would also think about how do I love her in this kind of way? That's hard, isn't it? Because no one hates them, as Paul said. No one hates them, their own bodies. So if I'm united to her because we've been married, we become one flesh, then I should love her and her needs just as much as mine. And that goes all the way back to the sacrificial nature of Christ. We love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, when men even begin to live this way, and I know many of you in this room do this well. Many of you better than me. And I'm not the standard by any means. It makes it very easy for a Christian wife to gladly submit to that kind of leadership. It's not difficult. And you shouldn't, man, you shouldn't make it difficult for your wife to submit to your leadership. If she's having a hard time, it's probably on you. <laughs> probably because you're not laying your life down in this kind of way. You're not thinking of her. You're, you're always, you know, 
you know, and again, th this comes down to like every little tiny detail in the home. Like, man, like if you have children, like do a diaper, please. Do a dish. Like, don't think that's above you because somehow that's domestic or that's the wife's role. And, and again, it, it's about all those things. How can I help? How can I provide? Maybe, maybe you know, there's not enough money in the in the bank account. Maybe I need to get another little job to kind of help help with that, provide in that way. Like, talk to your wife. Get off Facebook for five minutes. Have a conversation with her. See, how, how's your heart? How are you, how are you doing? What's, what's going on? I mean, my wife and I, again, we have, like, so many children in our house. I, can't, I don't even know their names anymore. Um, Larry, I don't remember. But, you know, finding date nights. Times where it could just be us and not a screaming child. Say, hey, how's your heart? How, are you? how can I serve you better? One of the, one of the gifts we have as a... Acts 29 churches. Uh, every year we have a, a pastor's retreat where it's just wives and, and husbands, and we, we go and retreat and uh, to you know Colorado or wherever, somewhere nice just to be, be be together. And you know we, we have some time just to like ask those questions. Hey, I, am, am I serving you well? Am I what? Just as Ephesians 5 tells me, I'm calling, not providing, am I loving the kids well? Like like this is free reign. Just tell me, right? And, and my wife can attest. There's been some tears. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Again, I think that's why there's a lot more verses here than that. But I, I failed her many times in that, and my children. But this is what I keep coming back to because I know this is how it's designed to work and how it can work in beautiful ways when we begin to walk in these, these kinds of ways because, because it's, a, it's a close picture, as Paul is, is saying in verse 31 and 32 of our relationship to Christ, that marriage is a little glimpse of what that relationship looks like. This kind of mystical union. 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it is, refers to Christ and the church. So even in our marriages, it's, it's meant to be this kind of you know, profound mystical union we have with Christ, but also as we come together as one flesh, one unit, body, soul, mind, spirit, everything, is that we give a little picture of what it looks like, our relationship with Christ looks like in our marriage. Because as, as she's joyfully submitting to my issue, as I'm sacrificially loving her at the same time, we're getting a little picture of who God is and what he's like. It is a mystery and it's profound. I think Paul kind of was stumbling over his words. I don't even know how to describe this in certain ways. And marriage is only temporary. Oh, I guess. <laughs> but I think there's a reason why it's temporary. I think it's because one day we will be in heaven. It doesn't mean we won't know our spouses. We won't. But, but it was meant to be a little foretaste of what's coming and who God is and what he's like. That, that because of sin, because sin had ravished everything, because it ravished this, this male-female relationship, this marriage relationship, now when, when everything is perfected, we can actually relate to, to each other in ways that, that, are, that are perfect. And, and, and there's this weird you know, tension and, and, and wall. It, it's, we can now be fully human as we were designed to be. And we have everything that we need in Christ. And the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And so as we, we live these, these ways, as, as women are learning to, to joyfully receive this kind of leadership, as men are, 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 are learning to, to joyfully, lovingly, sacrificially lay their lives down uh, for their wives, verse 33 is a great summary verse. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife say that she respects her husband. That I think as these relations are walking that way, as they're moving that way, the wife goes, yeah, I joyfully receive that. And as I'm loving my wife as I love my self, it honors her, it serves her, it helps her become all that she was designed to be. Because that's exactly what Christ is doing for us. Is that he wants us, as we saw in Ephesians 4, he wants us to be whole, he wants us to be mature. He doesn't want us to be tossed back to and fro from every wind of doctrine. But as Christ the head leads us, we are called as men to lead our wives in that same posture, in that same way, obviously and perfectly. And so I just have a, a couple questions to ask as we close this out this morning. I'm going to first ask the wives. Are you having a hard time submitting to your husband? 
Obviously, that's between you and God and your husband. Maybe it's a good opportunity to talk about those things. But husbands, at the same time, I want to ask you, are you making it hard for your wife to submit to you? Because there's always, I always say in counseling, when, when people come to me and their you know, marriage is in a tough spot, everybody's to blame. In your relationship, everybody's to blame. <clears throat> marriage is in a 50-50 proposition. It's 100%, 100%. We go all in, both couples. That you have to take ownership of your side too. It's not, well, you don't understand. You don't understand. I don't want to hear that garbage. We own our part of the pie. Because you're not always kind to your wife, and your wife's not always kind to you, and, and all those kinds of things. So, so we have to own that, right? But, but if you're having a hard time, what is that? And, and husbands, are you making it difficult for your wife to submit to you? Husbands, are you walking in the spirit of Christ to sacrificially provide care, nourish, and love your wife? Is, is that your mission? Do you have an Ephesians 5 mission for your marriage? That's what I'm after. That's what I'm praying for. That's why I don't do it perfectly, but that, that's what I want to be. I want to lay my life down. I want to cherish or nourish or build her up. And I know many of you do that well. And then I want to ask if you're not married here this morning, is how you can pray for a spouse like this that desires the vision of the Ephesians 5. That if you're, unless you're called to, to singleness for the rest of your life, but I, I know a lot of you, most of you probably aren't. You want to be married, that's a desire of your, your heart. Is, is, do you desire this to be the vision of whether you're man, male or female? If you're a male, then you, you want to be a, a sacrificially loving husband who's going to lay his life down for his spouse. And, and, and if you're a wife, you're going to lovingly submit to your husband as Christ submits to the church, as we submit to the church. Is that the vision for your marriage? I, I pray you would start praying that for that kind of man to come in your life or that kind of woman to come in your life. Most people don't. And also the question, how can I aspire to be that kind of person? That doesn't come easy, does it? But I'll give you a little hint. It starts with submitting ourselves joyfully and fully to Christ. That's how it starts. It doesn't start with being a good wife or being a good husband. It starts with joyfully submitting ourselves to the ultimate head, Jesus Christ. That's where it begins. That begins for me. That's where it begins for your spouse. Not marriage relationship. My relationship to Christ. That, because here's the thing. Like I don't know about you, but I know how weak and cranky and, and sinful I am that without Jesus Christ, I am, my wife has, is going to be crushed by all of my insecurities, all of my fears, all of my sins. Amen? I mean, yeah, 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 Pastor, we know you, yeah. I mean, those <laughs> talk about me. It's like, yeah, amen, yeah, I know. Jeesh. But right? I mean, isn't that it? If you know who you are, if you really know who you are in light of God and how much you need his mercy and need his power and need his grace, we're going to joyfully submit ourselves to him and pray, oh God, I am called to love my wife and to sacrifice for her, but I am such a selfish, you know what, God, just help me. Because most days I come home and I'm only thinking about the Holy Trinity, I mean, myself and I, and I got also these four little rugrats I got to take care of, love and teach and, and encourage and discipline and all these kinds of things. And all I want to do is put my feet up and watch ESPN. <laughs> so help me, oh God. And I've shared this before. This is my little prayer mantra before I get home almost every day. Lord, I'm tired. Uh, you've called me the second shift, which is my wife and my children. Oh, God, help me now. To love her as Christ loved the church. Help me to love my kids. Because all of my is making that. And that's for me. I don't know what yours is. Maybe you're way more sanctified than me. And he's like, I don't need that. I'm just killing it. I'm working it. Whatever it is. <laughs> but that's what I, what I live. And my wife, you can talk to her. Talk to her today. She, she'll tell you flat out. Not, not a perfect man. Okay, that guy's got issues. <laughs> Pray for me. We just talked about the other day. I just told her, I said, hey, babe, I know we don't have a perfect marriage, but I love you deeply. And thank you for loving me deeply. And then I said, submit one. No, <laughs> of marriage is that it's a little picture 
of our, the Bible uses the symmetry of, of the husband, Christ, who comes to redeem the people, to make them holy, to make them blameless. That he doesn't treat us as we deserve. He laid his life down as a good husband would to love us and, and bring us in. Um, whenever we have that, that reminder with the bread and the cup, the, the Lord's Supper. Um, and, and I just find it amazing when I think about what Jesus did for us as a, as a suffering servant to Messiah, that he put aside his authority, he put aside his wishes, and he joyfully submitted to the Father's will to come and bring us. What a beautiful picture that is for us, that, that now we joyfully submit ourselves to him and, and also to the relationships that God has put in our lives, whether that be marriage or otherwise. And we know we can't do it on our own, and that's why we need Jesus, we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so this morning, as we come to the table, I, I just have, as I ask those questions, maybe it's an opportunity just to kind of think that if you are married in this room. Maybe it's an opportunity to just, just pray and, and say, God, you know, I'd love to have a, a godly you know, husband or wife someday, and, and I pray they would, they would embody the, the vision of Ephesians 5. Um, it's a great opportunity to do that. If you're a believer in Christ, we invite you to come to the table. There'll be uh, two servers in the front. Break off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, there's some allergy-free uh, uh, Nut-free bread uh, there in the middle if you need that. Um, and if you're not a believer in Christ, we just ask you to stay seated. There's some uh, prayers in the city life that you can think on or reflect on. Um, and uh, if you'd like to talk more about that, I'd love to chat with you about what it means to follow Jesus. And um, that's our hope for you as well. And I'm really glad that you're here if you're in that place. So with that, let's pray. Father, uh, for those of us in this room, we, we know that marriage can be difficult. That the vision you lay out for us in Ephesians 5 is, is not an easy one. And, and I know on our best days we fall on our faces. And so we need your help on that. For a wife, we need help submitting for our, our husbands because we don't always give them the leadership they deserve. We don't always give them the leadership that is uh, driven by the Spirit of Christ. We have peace with us, husbands. And husbands, help us. At times, we, we don't love our wives as Christ loved the church. We don't love them in a sacrificial way. We just give ourselves way too much. And we don't get after their hearts and their souls and nourish them and cherish them and encourage them. And often we can be just emotionally walled off, so help us, oh God. And at the same time, Lord, we thank you for the ways in which you've wired us and made us different. Image bearers of God, male and female, very different. But you've given us this, this beautiful, complementary relationship to, to glorify you, God, by even the nature in which you made us. So God, help us to do that well. Help us this week as we go out into the, the world that our marriages can be a little glimpse of the relationship in which we have with Christ. The sacrificial relationship that, that, that he's shown us that we would be gracious and merciful to those around us and especially to our spouses as well. So help us now, God. Praise and do his name. Amen. Amen. Come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us.